Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Architecture Show podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host. Today, I have a very special guest, all the way from the University of Colorado in Denver. Um, he reached out to me on Instagram, so I recommend if you want to be on the podcast, definitely reach out. I would love to have you on to speak about your journey. Uh, so I'm going to introduce my guest for today, uh, Mason Wilson. Hello, everyone. My name is Mason, and I just wanted to start by thanking Chris. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure, and I'm really excited to discuss things. For sure, for sure. Thank you for reaching out. Um, you're actually my first guest that's not in my school. So, mm-hmm. again, thank you for reaching out. Yeah, of course, definitely. Um, let's just get right into it. So just tell everybody who you are, where you're from, um, things like that. Yeah, so um, my name is Mason Wilson. I am from Missoula, Montana, small little town, actually one of the larger towns in Montana, right on the west side, right next to Idaho, for anyone who's not too familiar with the geography of the state. So I um, grew up in Montana. Essentially, my love for architecture, my passion for design stemmed from my childhood. Um, my love for going to the cabins, um, like all the lakes, everything that we have to offer up in that rural area. Essentially, um, I just started really enjoying the design of the wood cabins, um, going outdoors, getting more expertise at sketching, drawing nature. Um, and then essentially once I got into art classes, I started to learn more perspective drawings. So once I started getting structures and forms into my design drawing techniques, um, it just started driving me more towards a passion of designing specifically buildings, structures. I got more into architecture through that realm. I think another big thing that drove me into architecture similar with most people is Legos, <laughs> building course. Lego blocks, um, just creating things from nothing is like my big vision when it comes to architecture. So just having a bunch of things that you wouldn't picture to become a form, a mass, an idea, a concept, and just kind of creating it. It's just beautiful to me. And it's definitely one of the things that really got me into it. So um, essentially from there, yeah, just sketching. Um, I've tried to keep that going. Um, in my school, architecture drafting classes weren't really offered mm-hmm. as much as a lot of people might think. Um, Bozeman, Montana has a pretty highly accepted architecture program. However, where I'm from in Missoula, there wasn't too much of that. So the exposure of learning those technical drafting skills kind of just came to my own knowledge and kind of through my own resource of finding my own way to learn those. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. And would you say being like from Montana, uh, you know, that's sort of scenic in itself i would assume right definitely yeah it's very scenic so you said you you were drawing while living there or yep so just growing up um like i said when we would go to like summer vacations on the cabin um to local friends my other friends who have cabins um i just really enjoy drawing nature um getting an aspect of getting like the the cabin forms was like the first things that i would start drawing in terms of architecture um but yeah i just learning to draw through those various beginning stages kind of led me to what I'm able to do now. And um, I still just try to keep that in my daily routine. So I love that. I love that. Would you say that um, high school set you up for like architecture at all? Um, So yeah, like I was saying, so the technical classes, they weren't offered to me in high school. Um, I did end up just finding my own exposure to architecture through um, books, film, obviously online, um, seeing just a bunch of different forms and random buildings across the world that I've never seen before, especially from a child's perspective. It's just really eye-opening. And 
it just kind of intrigued me to learn more about the profession. So of course. I got into it through there. A lot of the more technical aspects of architecture, I didn't really realize I was going to be getting into as much until I actually got into college. So mm -hmm. it exposed me to a lot of the design process that I would have had really no idea about, like I said, because they didn't really offer that too much in our curriculum. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say for people that just start, I feel like it's sort of an eye opener because you're yep. kind of thrown into it like basically with no sort of knowledge in a sense. Exactly. You know? And of course, everybody's journey is different, but you're really just mm -hmm. kind of thrown in from the beginning. Yeah. And it's all accelerated. So it's, it's, it's a, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's like eye opening almost. Right? For sure. Yeah, I can agree with that. So question, why did you choose to go to like CU Denver? Uh, was that, was they, did they offer something that maybe other schools didn't or was it like a scholarship or something that they gave you or was it just something out of interest? Yeah, great question. So the big thing that led me to particularly CU Denver was a, it's called the Western Undergraduate Exchange Program. So essentially living in Montana was one of the accredited states that they offered this Western undergraduate tuition form. It's sort of a grant, but it's essentially just um, once you apply, obviously other certain variables need to be met to be able to actually be applicable for this to, or this um, this grant essentially. But that was the big thing that led me towards it. Um, like I said, Bozeman, Montana, which is three hours away from my hometown, um, that was kind of the the main goal for me growing up was to obviously go study there. It's close. It's familiar to me. But I don't know, once I got to the end of high school, I just started realizing that, especially with architecture, I didn't want to stay too close to home, especially in those beginning stages. Um, I feel like exposing myself to more outside of what I'm familiar with growing up and just learning more of like a new environment, obviously new people, um, being able to see a lot more highly known or better known structures and just overall building landscapes, everything in Denver, it's just, it's a little bit more popular. So being able to learn through that source was obviously intriguing to me. And then just the fact that maybe out of college, I would have had more opportunities living down here in Denver. So those all mixed with the fact that I'm a huge snowboarder as well. I love to snowboard. Um, it's also, I did say, I, I kind of wanted to break away from the familiarity of Montana, even though Colorado is very, very similar in terms of like the environment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a completely different state, obviously. Um, and I think that that goal that I had originally to expose myself to new faces and all this new, <laughs> this whole new environment around me, I think that it, it worked out really well. And I'm really happy that I made that choice. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, I mostly, when I was in community college, cause that's how I started my journey. I was okay. also looking, I was mostly looking in New York city cause I knew I was moving back. Yeah. But definitely branching out is, is a great great idea 100%. for anybody who's interested in you know going to school sorry i hear a bug in the background uh, <laughs> so if you can can you just explain like maybe what your classes were like or like your curriculum how to, so how did that I, I assume you were in the five year or the four year um i ended up attending for five years my last year was actually more of my um the thesis it wasn't necessarily the thesis. It was more of the core curriculum outside of architecture classes that you have mm -hmm. to take to be able to graduate from the bachelor's for yeah. our program. Yeah. But I, I obviously I wanted to get into the architecture classes as soon as possible. So mm -hmm. um, I dived into those studio classes and those beginning years. But yeah, going to your question, essentially our curriculum 
Studio One was, and I'm, I'm sure it's pretty similar across most curriculums, but um, they just kind of expose you to just drawing, getting that pen on paper. Um, there's always that huge, I don't know about over in New York, but essentially when we were getting into the first year, they sent us a long list of supplies, obviously all the studio supplies that you're going to need. So I feel like it's pretty common that a lot of architecture students' Amazon history purchases at that time is just a large list of sticky dots, different types of leads, obviously the Strathmore papers, mm -hmm. your drawing boards. Um, so these these are all new things to me at this time, this first year. This was back in 2017 when I started. So that process alone was like the beginning for me to really dive into what I felt was kind of not necessarily uncomfortable, but just something I wasn't really aware of. Mm -hmm. I I definitely anticipated learning more about the computer aspect of architecture when I first started, but they I'm really happy that they keep you away from that entirely. Studio One, we didn't even touch anything digital necessarily. We were mostly learning techniques, really, really, um, really good drawing techniques that I still use today. Um, mm -hmm. Learning perspective, just diving into that design process, um, learning how form and function, how those all kind of interplay with each other. So um, I'd say that the beginning years definitely they just they kind of leave you as more of a traditional architect like a hundred years ago whenever I try to picture them just only pencil paper if you're going to a client meeting you you want to draw out your ideas so that's kind of how I pictured that those first couple of years and then essentially around studio three they had us starting to get into the computer aspects so we started learning Rhino and we started learning um, Revit and Grasshopper Grasshopper I, I know in a <clears throat> in a previous episode the Grasshopper was brought up in a conversation that's one that I still haven't gotten too hands-on because yeah. of how kind of theoretical and complex it can get. But yeah, Studio 3 was about the time that we started learning AutoCAD, all the computer softwares. Um, me personally and my my school, obviously creating perspectives and renderings, you have to use Photoshop and the Adobe suites. They didn't really push us towards those. Um, that's one of those things that I personally think I'm pretty proficient at in terms of my toolbox is Photoshop. Adobe, um, Lightrooms, obviously Illustrator, InDesign. Um, I think it's one of those things that they didn't push for us. And that's what I was do definitely doing the most outside of the curriculum. So just in terms of things that they didn't have to offer, kind of wanted to touch base on that as well. But I'd say Studio 3, learning those softwares, Studio 4, really trying to apply those softwares and having fun with it. I think Studio 4 was my favorite studio because of that. I was kind of just given a lot more permission to go about my projects as I wish, as I please. My concepts kind of got to be a little bit more playful. And like I said, I just, I, I started to really learn and hone in on the aspects of these software. So I started being able to execute ideas that I've had in my head. So Studio 4 was kind of that time. And then Studio 5 was that initial or that final, but obviously the final studio in our curriculum. Um, and that's kind of where all of those came to a boiling point. And we were able to, me personally, I was, I took all the, hand-drawn aspects as well as the computer aspects and kind of mixed them in for my final project. So that was a really fun thing to do. And it was kind of a really cool and unique process for an architectural school project. So, Yeah. Yeah. For my school, they usually, they, uh, they brought us right into digital. So I think it's great that you learned starting with sketching. Because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people now, we, we sort of just go right into digital and they don't really know how to get a concept across. Okay. Just yeah. Doing like a quick sketch, something like that. Definitely. That's that's great. What what software did they start you with for your Studio 3? So for Studio 3, um, the biggest thing that we were using was Rhino. 
Revit actually wasn't used in our studio courses. We had our own particular class where we learned that whole process, but Rhino was the main one that we learned. And it was definitely the biggest that I used in my toolbox in in terms of all those different softwares that we were able to use for our final project. So Mm -hmm. I'd say Rhino was definitely that big trademark process using software. (laughs) Right. So now, so break down what a semester looks like. So is it like you have, is design one or design three or four, is that for the whole year or is it just for one semester? So our design studio courses are offered by semester. So essentially I started my design studio one in the fall and then you can just jump right into studio two in the spring mm-hmm. and then just continue doing that. We, we even had um, the ability to take studio courses in the summer because that's mm-hmm. also just that semester times length of courses. So um, they it was really nice that they allow you to be able to get through that process fairly quickly. And then right. if you choose to go jump into master's, um, you have that option at a at a better timely manner than a lot of what I expected it to be in terms of a timeline. So, right. Yeah. And um, is your, was that degree accredited? Like, are you able to start taking your AREs or is that you would have to get like your master's? So in Colorado, that's actually a great question. I personally need to be doing a little bit more research on all this. I don't believe my my school was accredited. So my process right now, I'm just essentially learning um, in the field. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get on as many real hands-on projects and essentially get my NCARB hours up so I can go get to the point where I can start taking my ARE tests. So it's a little bit of a ways down the road for me in the process. I'm about halfway through my NCARB hours um, from my initial internship that I had, as well as my current full-time position as an architectural designer. Mm -hmm. Um, So just learning every day, essentially. Um, You may ask, but I don't have a plan at the moment to attend master's, at least not where I got my bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of going back to the same reason that I came to Colorado. I, if I ever do decide I want to go get my master's, I kind of want to take the time to research and find a different environment, maybe down the line that I can start to expose myself to a new field once again. So, right. I assume you are trying to get licensed, right? hundred percent. Yes, sir. Cool. Cool. So what would you say is, um, what would you say is probably your favorite? You said studio three was your favorite studio or was it studio Studio four? four was my favorite out of all. And is that like that project too for that semester? Was that your favorite project for that semester? I would say so, yeah. I think you you may have had the chance to look through my architectural portfolio, portfolio but um, yep. that first project in there, that's the one that I always go back to. We had the most fun with that one. It was a group project, but like I said, just being able to take all the tools that we learned in the prior years and finally being able to just go all out with them, and we created something that I thought was really special. So um, I have a picture of it on my wall in my room, too just to show how proud I am of that whole process. It was definitely the most intense architectural process, even after working for almost two years in the profession. Um, I think it, that one studio assignment was the most intensive architecture thing I've ever done <laughs> to date. So, right. yeah. So now within a semester, how are your projects broken up? Is it like you have three projects and each project leads to the final project? Is this exactly. That, that was that was pretty much the big thing for most of them was three projects. I, I think my Studio 5 may have had four broken up, but for the most mm-hmm. part, they break it into three. And then like the final crit is like the whole project pretty much put together, right? Exactly. They all, they all interplay with each other. So um, usually like, for instance, in Studio 1, the first process was learning... Obviously, like I said, the sketching, um, kind of 
how form plays out on paper in a 2D sense. And then this the second project in that studio was to essentially take those 2D forms and start to create 3D tectonic forms. So we learned stereotomic versus tectonic. Um, that was like a huge pushing point in terms of creating forms and architectural spaces for me. So um, I guess the third part of that was essentially taking those um, extruded masses and then making them space. So starting to look at things differently. Um, at this point, we didn't really look at these models and these physical objects in our hands as architectural spaces. But once we start to perceive that, that's where we learn scale. That's how we start to see how maybe something that the size of what we thought was maybe a building window could actually be an entire large opening that's 100 feet wide by 100 feet tall versus looking at that with a different scale that could just be a three foot by four foot tall window. So yeah, I thought that that was a really eye-opening part and just how all of those three different assignments play together. Yeah, I think that that, that was pretty similar in all my studios. That's cool. What did you uh, mostly use to create like physical models? Was it different each semester? Or did you have a general like, okay, this is what I enjoy building with. This is what I hate, but I guess I'll do it. And then maybe like a third option. Yeah, great question. So it was for me personally, I really love to model with chipboard. Um, and I think that the styrofoam was one that I learned right away. I didn't really have too great of a relationship with. I think three, um, hand modeling is my favorite part of architecture in general. I really, like I said, I think at the beginning of this conversation, I just love creating things out of nothing. <laughs> so um, going to your question, I think chipboard or uh, yeah, so chipboard is definitely going to be the biggest thing for me. I think that it's really easy to use and I can just start gluing it together and create things in a matter of hours. Um, yeah. I think that each semester I try to use something new, um, just bringing in random materials. I think you know, like in Studio 4, for instance, the playfulness of what I was speaking on earlier I would take scrap metal. I, I actually used to work um, as a construction laborer, picking up garbage on site. Mm -hmm. So I remember one day we had a studio assignment where instead of just throwing away a random box of just junk metals and random bits of brick and masonry, I actually took a box and collected a lot of it and took it home and reused it to essentially <laughs> take what was a form of architecture and use it as like the beginning form of a new sense of architecture, which I thought was kind of a cool idea um just using like scrap metal and my scissors and cutting them up and just using mm -hmm. forms and materials that i never thought i would have pictured myself using so yeah trying something new every semester for sure i love that that's great uh so how did how did your what were your crits like where did they do like a desk crit like every other class or was it like you had two classes a, a week and maybe one day you had class and then the other day is like a desk crit how did that yes. sort of work our, our classes were structured um, twice a week, and essentially we would have three major crits. So with those three assignments that I spoke on, um, each one would have its major crit. And then obviously that final assignment where all those come to that boiling point, that's that major final crit that everyone obviously is aware of and everyone is stressed so out <laughs> stressed about. out about yeah. going into. So um, we would do just general pinups um, the whole entire studio, as well as the professor, obviously, and then um, whatever jury panel that they ensemble together, um, usually about five jury members. And then the studio courses, the ones I was in was about 20 of us on average. Mm -hmm. So you have about a good 25, 26 person audience, all watching you <laughs> with your pinups, yeah. obviously something that you're pretty aware of. So 
um the way we did it was we would all pick a spot on the wall we had a we have multiple actually at our university but um pinup rooms so they have like the nice lighting and everything's yeah super dramatic for that sense which is awesome i love it um but we would each pick a spot on the wall and then that way we usually just go clockwise around there we wouldn't really have like an order set but we would just know who's going next based on where you are on that location so usually i wouldn't try to go pin myself up on the last because personally i don't like going last i don't like sitting there thinking about what i'm gonna say i i tend to do better if i kind of just and more at the beginning of the pack and then i just go for it a little bit more free-flowing so that's how i perceive these pinups mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree i i feel like within the first like six i'd rather be within the first six than be like one of the last two 100 percent. just because i'd rather get it out of the way but also it's like still fresh in my mind yeah you know? i agree so your your studio um did you have like your own uh i guess your own architecture building because uh we have two campuses at NYIT, right? And one, they have in the Long Island campus, uh, one building that's just dedicated to architecture students. But the campus that I'm in is Manhattan, and we only have two floors for architecture students. So is this something like that for you, where you have like a dedicated architecture building where it has like all your laser cuts and 3D prints and the studios? Definitely. So I guess to begin answering that question, my campus is a little bit unique in a sense that it's a commuter school. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but it's not a traditional campus where um, all your buildings and the dormitories that they're all located on that same like traditional campus right. environment, essentially mm-hmm. uh, everyone goes home outside of the city It's located right in the middle of downtown Denver, which is really cool, but everyone lives within the suburbs outside of the larger city. So about five o'clock, the whole campus is just completely empty. It's like a ghost mm-hmm. town. Um, but to answer your question, my architecture building is, it is, specifically its own entity um right on like the busiest street in downtown denver which is really cool but i believe that it's not solely architecture um it's it's a good i want to say 14 story building and the top levels are i think 3d animation but Mm -hmm. as a whole it's a creative space it's a really large just yeah creative space that each class is pretty much designed for students for architecture mainly, but like I said, animation. Um, I think that they have some courses. There's like an InWorks course, which is essentially like an innovation and design outside of architecture where they come up with like new, um, just anything productive, essentially. They have a lot of 3D printers and they have all the laser cutters and everything, but they aren't used for modeling and architectural purposes. Mm -hmm. So overall, the building is just a large creative fun hub. (laughs) That's cool. So. What software are you uh, are you using right now for work? And then what software were you using for school? Was it mainly Rhino for school? Yeah, mainly Rhino for school. And every day I'm in Revit. I every think day. Revit's never closed on my computer. I always have multiple. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually in Revit like 21, 22, 23. Um, I work, my, my company is, is, we have multiple locations across the country. And we all get the opportunity to remotely work in each of these on their own projects that they have specifically in their states. So um, I'm all across the board. Someone in Tennessee might be using Revit 23, but I might be working for a project in Minnesota and they're having me on Revit 2021 here in Colorado. I know a lot of them is Revit 2022. So Revit is there any difference between like Revit 21, 22, 23? Are they mostly (laughs) the same? 
Um, so you start to, you start to, there's obviously going to be a lot of new stuff. Um, it's pretty minor, I want to say, for the most part in these newer releases. Um, but when you use Revit every single day, even if it's a minor change, there's going to be like, it's pretty significant to you. Like, for instance, I geek out on, I think, Revit 20, from 21 to 22, they let you duplicate sheets with views in the sheets, as opposed to having to go create a whole new sheet, create a sheet usage for it. I don't know how familiar you are with the whole Revit process, but um, it can be a pretty big pain if you want to essentially take a sheet that you you have all the details and views that you want to use and you want to mm-hmm. uh, duplicate that. It would have been a painstaking process, whereas now you just duplicate the whole sheet with views. Just one of those little perks that they've added. But overall, they always are trying to find new ways to obviously improve. And it's such a never-ending software. I think you can always keep learning. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you did you work at all while you were in college? I know you said it, and you had an internship. Um, Correct. Was that yeah. During like towards the end of uni, or was that like right in the middle? So on my my last semester of courses, I think I mentioned I wasn't actually taking architecture courses at the time. Yeah, that was the, the electives, right? Yeah, so my main elective. So I remember I was taking like an art class, some um, intro to film, but I didn't want to steer away from architecture. So I was fortunate enough to land an internship and I worked for, um, it was just a part-time gig for this residential firm that's actually pretty close to my, my home. But they gave me the opportunity to take an internship course. So one of my three credits that I earned that last semester was essentially just through working. So it was kind of cool because I was getting paid, but also earning credits mm-hmm. that led to me to end up being able to graduate. So yeah, it was really nice being able to work while in school. Um, I was getting a lot of exposure that a lot of the students that I was with obviously weren't getting. But like mm-hmm. I said, I wasn't in architecture classes, so I wasn't really with architecture students anyways. So yeah. So what sort of classes did they have you take like outside of like the architecture classes? Like as far as like not like like what what was your highest level of math that you needed in order to graduate was it did it stop at like pre-calculus or they had us um we were given two routes essentially our freshman year when it came Mm -hmm. to receiving our bachelors and i took the less math route (laughs) my highest math actually in college to be completely honest with you was algebra two i took trigonometry my sophomore year they didn't have us take any more math classes after that with that being said it was more science heavy so mm-hmm. I was more into like the physics courses, um, physics one, two, and then I ended up taking some psychology courses as well, which obviously don't directly relate to architecture, but I think that overall learning these was widely beneficial. I know physics obviously does more for psychology in that matter. So now outside of like design, did you have like a favorite class or um, maybe like a most interesting class that you took? Outside of design, honestly, going back to psychology, probably, I think yeah. was just the most interesting to me that was non-architecturally related. I think that psychology is such a fascinating realm of knowledge that you can take in and just learn how the brain works and how humans perceive society and all that. It's just really, really cool. So That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, was there, what was like your biggest wake up call going from like university to actually working in the field? Was there anything where you, they kind of like threw you in where you were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know this was a thing. Or Hmm. would you say you were somewhat prepared or maybe even the internship helped and opened up your eyes to actually working as a designer? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that I was fortunate enough to be able to learn through my internship. Um, They didn't, it wasn't as intense as the job I have now. 
So I guess the way to answer that is if I were to have gone into my current position out of college, I would have been a lot more shell shocked <laughs> versus right. being able to learn those processes slowly while in school. But I'd say um, answering your question, building code. <laughs> building code, yeah. Of Particularly, course. so I work for a commercial firm. Um, we're actually working on a school right now that we're going to try to break around in January in um, South Colorado and just learning building code. It's always changing too. So you yeah. always just have to keep chasing it in circles. Um, but yeah, learning the IBC was a huge thing that I had to kind of just start getting used to and understanding that honestly, it's good to maybe not, it's good to try, try to learn new things with the IBC code, maybe daily, maybe daily might be a little intense, but at least once a week, try to mm -hmm. dive into code and learn something new. It's always changing, like I said. So it's not like you're ever going to run out of new information to learn. <laughs> now you said, um, you mainly use Revit now, right? Did that? Did they teach you Revit in school from one of the classes? Yeah, so we, we were offered um, Revit 1 and Revit 2, I believe was offered. I took Revit 1. Um, personally, I think that the class was was great. I'm no, no disrespect on the curriculum or the courses or the teachers, but I learned Revit so much more once I got into the actual use of it in the field. Mm -hmm. um, and, and which is kind of ironic to me because obviously they're not teaching you when you're in the field. Their their sole purpose in that Revit course is to teach you the basics. And mm. I don't know. I just I feel like comparing the two, that Revit course kind of just really didn't help me out too much in terms of what I'm using it for now. So that was one of those things, kind of like I said with Photoshop and the Adobe Suites, I had to learn my own way to use it. I actually have my own hotkeys and everything in my office <laughs> every time someone tries to help me. With the Revit stuff, they're always clicking the keys that's pretty normal and they're used to and they're messing things up on my screen. So yeah, I, I tried to learn it in my own way and I thought that that was a really helpful way to learn such an intense program. And yeah, just trying to learn new things with it every day too, so. It's great that they uh, they at least taught you the basics. I notice most schools, they don't usually teach Revit. It's either they don't teach Revit or they don't, they don't teach AutoCAD or they don't teach okay. both. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's good that you picked it up a little earlier. Uh, do you use CAD at all or you you strictly like Revit Rhino? So AutoCAD wasn't one that I took in, in um, my college courses. So I do use it in my day-to-day. -day. Um, I'm learning it more and more. But I'd say AutoCAD out of those more well-known and pretty common um, softwares in offices, I think that that's the one that I'm the less proficient at. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of dive into it more and more to learn more uses for it. But just... For my position in my current role, I don't find myself using it too often, mostly Revit. Um, there's a lot of times that I'll create drawings or I'll take CAD drawings and I'll link them into my Revit for ease of accessibility and not having to go through daunting initial layout and drafting tasks. But AutoCAD, I'm, I'm pretty not as highly proficient on that, like I said. So yeah, just trying to take in more knowledge on that. Gotcha. Yeah, for my past internships, uh, they strictly used use autocad okay so um for those who are listening I, you definitely should pick up both um autodesk gives you like a certificate for both so definitely try to look up even if it's on youtube that's something you should definitely pick up and pick up and uh and learn yeah um and autocad also it's very easy to learn too it's very simple as far as like even like in rhino where you do like commands basically the first thing that my professor told me for that class that i took was like whatever you want the program to do just write it as a command and it should yeah. work so okay 
Yeah, that's good to hear. I, I do remember in a previous episode you mentioning it was one of those easier ones to learn. So that kind of gave me a little bit less stress in terms of wanting to pick it up in the future. So, uh, what what phase of like projects do they put you on for work? Are you in most of the phases? Or are you mostly doing like construction documents, maybe CA or like what process do they kind of put you in? Is it random or like how does that work? How do they spread that out for you? Um, so for my for my job. Like I said, so there's going to be multiple locations and offices across the country. So um, they do have us all, like, for instance, I guess a way to answer this is I work in the Colorado obvious office, obviously. There's about 24 of us. It's a little bit smaller, um, more of like an intimate relationship that we have. And then outside of that are larger offices, like in Minnesota, there's like 200 people. It's our, it's our HQ for my company in particular. So they'll have me doing mostly construction documents. Um, CDs is how I spend most of my day to days, just answer or fixing red lines, going through sets. Um, but it's kind of, it's pretty unique because I, if I go into like a Minnesota project, for instance, they might have me at the phase where they're in bidding. So they're going to have me doing more of getting ready for submittals, um, getting ready to choose, obviously help the, the contracting process and figure out who's going to be chosen for what trades and that's all something that I'm also learning at the moment this is all new stuff to me as well so um the CA phase of things is another thing that they might have me jumping into like for instance I mentioned a school that we're working on right now I'm expecting to be seeing a lot of submittals this current coming month because we just got out of bidding so um as I'm going to be helping with the submittals and maybe creating some PRs or answering RFIs I might also be helping in like a Minnesota project and they'll have me on doing renderings or maybe setting up a community presentation. So just so many different areas that my job allows me to sit and do what I'm able to do. So I'm really fortunate for that. It's kind of cool that they got to give you that freedom of not choosing, but you have the opportunity to be in those specific categories. I think that's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. Thanks. Um, now you said you are you worked in residential, but now you're in commercial. Do you have a preference? Like, is are you going more towards commercial, or do you enjoy the residential? Maybe you're going to move into that later. Or... Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'd say out of the two, if I if I were to picture myself as a licensed architect in 20 years doing my own designs, I picture more residential. Mm-hmm. I think that's more intimate with the client. I think that. Um, the process is obviously a little bit quicker. So you get to see your work done at a faster rate, which is always nice for architects. Obviously that's like the one thing that we all want to do is see our work flourished. So you get to see that happen at a, at a higher rate. Um, yeah, just the, the close relationships that you have with clients. Um, I think it's really fun. One funny story from my residential time, we had a client, um, he had a lot of money in his pocket and he wanted to essentially renovate his home to look like the Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> so this this gentleman gave us a line item of $250,000 worth of linear bookshelving alone. Wow. So that's just an example that shows you just kind of the playfulness and how fun you can have with the design process and the client. But in terms of the commercial side of it, I'd say, um, like I mentioned before, just the intensity of building codes and learning how public space is used. Um, what I like about commercial compared to residential is that I think that it's made me become a lot 
more of an organized architect and um, I've definitely become better at traditional architectural habits, such as, um, like I said, reading, just trying to read in on building code every day. Um, I do see myself doing more sketches when I'm in the commercial aspect, just because there's so many more things that we're designing at once. So for instance, if I'm in a media center and I want to design a staircase, I need to do quick sketching to show how this might look if I do an L turn versus a U turn. Whereas, you know, in or in residential, it's a little bit more set in stone and there's a way to do it. That makes sense. So, yeah. Cool. That's cool. Okay. So you did mention that you will, you do want to be licensed, right? So is, is your, is your current job and did your internship help as far as getting like your AXP hours in? Exactly. Yeah. So right now I'm about halfway through my entire fully complete AXP hours. So my current job is really, really nice about it because they not only help us with the hours, obviously, but they, they help break down each category and really allow us to find the time to be able to fill those hours out. So um, for those who aren't too familiar with that, like there's the programming analysis, project management, project um, construction evaluation. There's, I believe there's six different subcategories of hours that you need to complete. Um, so yeah, just on that, on that process right now, chugging along. Have you uh, looked into like studying for them yet or you're still waiting to kind of get those hours in first? I began getting study guides. That's study kind guides. of the initial steps that I've taken as of now. But I do obviously plan maybe next year. I'm hoping to have enough hours complete where I can start that process. Yeah. So now um, if you do get your license, you need to do, I, I don't know how, if it, it's the same in like Colorado or Montana, but for New York City, you do need like an accredited degree. So with that, are you planning, did you want to go do your research and go get your master's somewhere at like a, you know, not Ivy League, but like a nice, like a good school? On top of knowing that I'm going to get my license, I know for sure I'm going to go get um, my master's. So when it comes to grad school, I do want to obviously find somewhere that is accredited. Um, and I want to be able to just pick up where I left off essentially with my bachelor's. I really do enjoy studio courses mm -hmm. and the whole just environment with your with your friends in that studio just the friends that you make in the groups that the friends that you create in those classes so i'm excited to go start that whole process over again wherever my grad school journey leads me mm -hmm. i would say uh the studio environment i think and i'm probably a little biased as for most of my listeners but i feel like the studio environment is a very fun and very friendly environment you know and it's the idea that we're all in this together whether you're exactly. a school in Colorado, Florida, New York, California, we all grew go through pretty much the same process. Yep, it's so, a unique, it's a unique one, but we love right. it for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, um, how do projects work as far as your job? Do they put you on multiple projects? Are you put on a on a project throughout the process? Because I know from start to finish, a project could take um, a couple years. Honestly, I just met. Um, I, I did like a like a site visit the other day. Yeah. And I met the the lead architect and he told me the project that he was working on. It's in downtown Brooklyn. And he just got the approvals of everything recently and just started the construction. And that has been going on for almost ten years to wow. just get approvals from like the government <laughs> and, and do all that. So um yeah, how um do they put you on multiple projects or do they do they kind of see all the way through? Yeah. So my job, we do government education, um, hospitality work, not hospitality, sorry, um, healthcare. So 
essentially right now, like I said, I'm working on a school in South Colorado. I joined my company. I work for a, a company called Wold Architects and Engineers. So we have in-house engineering, mechanical, electrical. It's pretty unique as well. Um, but from day one, back in January of this year, when I started, they were about six months into the schematic design process of this new school, essentially. And so at this point, they they have a, a design idea, they have a concept and like a vision, but, you know, it's still getting flushed out. So up about, what is it now, 10, 11 months later here in November, um, the team that I joined with originally, it's actually, it looks a lot different. Um I I do obviously I hope to see this project play out all the way until the final day of construction but yeah they they have us on multiple phases of multiple projects um I think I mentioned before they'll have me for instance on other remote locations for the other offices when I joined virtually um like for instance for example I joined a an Indiana project or sorry not Indiana Illinois project where it was like a roof replacement for some gym so they had me hopping onto um, some roof details, some existing roof drawings, um, creating like design phases of the original versus obviously the new construction built. Um, so that's just one idea of just a phase of a project that I wouldn't really ever see myself jumping into. But yeah, they'll, they'll have me, they'll send out an email. They'll say, hey, Mason, we want you to connect with our team here in Illinois. Um, we have this really cool roof replacement scope that we're going we're working through the weeds of and we want to like just have you just jump right in meet the team and we're going to send you red lines of something that we've been doing for maybe what four or five months prior to them shooting me that email so just the fact that obviously i work for that company they just engrave that trust that they can hand us their documents and just push forward even though we're in a different state and mm -hmm. the codes are different here and everything's the design process is different um it's just kind of cool how they all come together as one whole. <laughs> so that was going to be my follow-up question. Do you do you volunteer for like a certain phase? Like let's say you're having a meeting maybe with your boss from wherever. They're like, hey, Mason, we have a project in Illinois. Uh, we need some help on the CD phase or the schematic design phase. Are you able to go out there or remotely like do the work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they will fly us out if they need us to go on site, which is pretty fun. But um for the most part, I would have to say that, yeah, they'll just they'll just have me jump right in. I'll just be helping with their documents and kind of just picking up from there. So, yeah, that's cool. Was it was it hard for you to like find work after you graduated, or did you have something set up, or was it like um, a... it wasn't wasn't necessarily too hard. Um, maybe I I may have gotten lucky. I I did apply for the job I have is one of the first ones that I applied for. Um, I'm really, really lucky in terms of my location. I live pretty close to my office as well. So the accommodation is nice and set up with all that. But um, I would say just in my personal journey to find the job, um, it wasn't intensively difficult. Um, I did. So I, I was under a contract for my last internship. And once that ended, um, essentially with the idea that I was going to go in back to school and I kind of wanted to get out of the residential, um, I ended up leaving that firm, um, which made things a little bit more intense and stressful in terms of finding a new job but like i said i was grateful enough to land one pretty early on so yeah that's good that's good did you um did you have uh any other internships that were you like applied for and maybe didn't get or were you did you know like okay this is where i want to work let's see what happens when i apply 100 percent. um so when i was working as a laborer on the construction site that i mentioned before 
um, every day just pushing garbage around. Um, it really, it shows you obviously the beginning of the totem pole that you're about to climb, but it also really pushes you to like go out there and start doing your research and try to find ways to get out of that. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it was obviously, I'm really happy and I'm, I'm very pleased that I actually went through that torture of pushing and inhaling all the drywall around. But um, I think that, yeah, it just, it was really just a way to like, when I got home from, from a hard day's work to just start realizing that I, I obviously don't want to be doing that for my entire career. That's not what I went to school for. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I applied for a few internships during that time. Um, obviously didn't get them. Some of them were just, it wasn't the right time, the right place. Some of them was just because I didn't have enough ex enough experience, obviously. So mm. um, I think that that construction job was one of those things that I never really pictured in terms of my architectural journey. But yeah, like I said, I'm really happy that I did it. And it just shows the rough ends of things and like where you can come from. So, <laughs> yeah. So now when you start applying for jobs outside of college, yeah. are you are you applying for, were you, were you applying for like designer positions or were you applying for just like internships? upon graduating for the for the most part mostly internships yeah i feel like that that first initial job that you want to get i think it it should be an internship i mean if you can get something higher obviously kudos go, for, and it. go yeah. for it but i think that obviously an internship role they're designed for obviously interns and they're just learning the process and how right. each one works and their culture and their mission so yeah that's cool so another question do you think your perspective on architecture has changed from like first year to your last year and then your last year to now working i i don't i don't only think that my perspective on architecture has changed i think that my style has changed i think that the way i view the built environment has changed i think everything about it has changed 100 yeah. percent. yeah yeah i think um even though i'm i'm only in my third year from my first year to now i definitely there was a major switch for me as far as what i think i want to what path I want to go down and how I want to present my drawings, things like that. Definitely. So I think the more, if you're somebody who's a first year and you're kind of like confused or maybe you're lost, you really got to give yourself some time because you don't really know what you want when you're a first year. You don't really know what you want when you're a second year, but then yeah. third, fourth, even maybe fifth year, you start to figure out who you are and how you like to portray your drawings, how you like to portray your concepts. And you sort of get that better understanding, uh, you know, moving forward. So yeah, I got to tell you, man, there's no feeling like on top of obviously mastering all these really intense programs that they throw at you, just the feeling that you're also building this style and every day you're just getting better at it. I think it's just such a great feeling. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I also have your portfolio pulled up on the screen here. Um, what would you say? I assume like your first project's your favorite. Yes, sir. Right. Yep. Okay. So that was going to be my question. Like, which project were you most proud of and why? You know, I, so it's kind of funny way to answer it. So at the end of the day, yes, that is my favorite. That first one, it's called The Factory. Obviously, the viewers can't see, but um, mm -hmm. I'd say that I'm most proud of that one. And it's probably going to end up being my favorite because of how intense it is. I think I mentioned before just how labor intensive that whole process was. It was a group. There was three of us for that project in particular. But just looking back at what we went through to get that and how happy that we all, that all three of us are with that final product, um, it's just something that we like just hold on to and we're just really proud of, yeah. But I'd say, the reason I say it's a funny answer is because I have another project in there. Um, there's a project titled A Cabin in Iceland. 
And I think that that one also is a personal favorite of mine. Um, and I might even argue that that one might just be the favorite because it was a mix of digital media and hand media. Um, and I think that that's where I really got the furthest leap in terms of an architectural student. I learned the most through that project. Um, I was really pleased with my crits. I think it went really, really well. Not to toot my own horn, but I think that like, yeah, that was it was a kick-ass crit. Um, I I always just kind of think back to the to that mostly when I think about that project. But um, it's also one that I was able to go back years later and just keep working on and refining mm -hmm. with new skills and traits I've learned. It's like a it's a nice template for me to learn a new thing, a new rendering style, and maybe just go use that for that project and just practice with it. But um, yeah, it, it definitely was the most beautiful project in my sense in terms of like the hand-built aspect of it, but also just like mixing that with the digital media. I think it, it curated out really well. I do have to say it's a very, very clean, very clean model. So this looks really well. It looks really uh, well thought out and well put together. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, going back to that first project, um, one second, the factory. Yep. That was, it says fall 2020. So were you guys shut down during this semester or did you have so studio still in person? Studio four, that was an in-person studio. In -person. So we were, we were shut down mostly for studio three. Mm -hmm. uh, but at this time we were doing a lot of remote work for the, for the course, but that course was an in-person one. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah. I was going to ask um, if it was difficult for you guys to kind of like work together as mm -hmm. far as like COVID and everything, but. Yeah, and a good way to maybe quickly answer that, um, Studio 3, like I just said, it was the COVID one for me. That was my least favorite studio out of all of them. Not, nothing in regards to like what we did in the project scopes, but just because of learning to work hybrid. And I, I personally just don't think studio courses play out as well as they could, obviously, in person. I think architecture is such a in-person thing at the end of the day, and just seeing the physical models and the physical drawings and everything's just there for you to physically see in person it's just yeah it's nothing like it so <laughs> right right yeah this is i gotta say man this the cabin in iceland it's impressive i'm gonna be real with you um <laughs> i know i know you guys can't see but it's just it's it's made out of chipboard basswood and foam core and it's it's put it's very well put together thank you I really appreciate that i'm gonna be honest with you i am not a physical model guy i would love to be that guy that's like really good clean nice cuts uh, I'm just not like, I'd rather sit there and work on my drawings for hours. I don't care if I'm up for three and a half days, yeah. you know, but I'll do it. Right. Yep. Hand modeling definitely isn't everyone's trait. So yeah. no, no, uh, no hone in on that. So, <laughs> so now I did want to get into, um, I did want to get into your lamp business. So for those who don't know, Mason has his own lamp business, uh, that, that he has, uh, that I believe you make all by yourself, right? Like you make it by yes. hand at your house all by yourself. Yep. Yes, sir. So it's actually a good segue from the hand modeling mm -hmm. talk. Um, that's what really got me into this little side lamp business of mine. So for those unfamiliar, um, I essentially, I founded a brand. Um, it's called MW Lamps, named after my initials. Um, I started this back in May of this current year. Um, during my times at CU Denver, I took a design course where I ended up making one of the initial lamp designs. Um, obviously not 
any plan in my head of making a business out of it down the road, but the the design of the lamp that actually I have on my desk, the very the existing, the very original OG model sitting here, um, it came out a lot cooler than I originally expected on paper. And after just having it here, and it's been through all my designs ever since, because it sits here next to me when I'm drawing, doodling, sketching, you name it. Um, it's been a source of inspiration for me. So this year I decided to be in my first year out of college and not being able to do the hand modeling that I was intensively doing all the years prior. I decided to pick it back up. So I went down to Home Depot. I got the tools that I knew I needed from obviously making the original one and in, in my um, my courses in college. But it's just in my backyard, man. I just set up a little wood shop essentially and um, just started creating models and selling them out it started as like a family business not gonna lie obviously close family and friends being the supportive ones but um once I made my first purchase outside of that close-knit group I remember it really well there was a gentleman in New Hampshire who bought a lamp I remember getting the notification that someone in New Hampshire just bought a lamp from you um so just thinking that and obviously there's been more since then so just randomly across just knowing that people have my design that I made one day in college, just in their home somewhere. I think it's really, really cool. So, yeah. yeah. I do have to say, I look through the Instagram, you make some pretty cool stuff. And again, this goes back to uh, even uh, your projects. Um, it's very clean. It's very, very clean. Thank you. Uh, do you mind like talking about the process of making a lamp? Is it uh, you have like this design in mind, so you kind of sketch it out and then, you see how you can build it and get the dimensions and all that, or how does yeah. that work? Yeah, good question. So um, the original one that I made is actually a lot larger than the ones that I produce. Um, I think that the ones I'm selling now are just a pretty commonly decent sized lamp that most people would want just on a desk. So starting with that, but um, currently I only, I do have just the one design that I am selling. So I kind of have like a template that I use every time I make the lamps. Um, so it's just become sort of a, an easy go-to process, but to break it down pretty quickly, I essentially I get the wood. I am able to draw out each one of the pieces that create the hole and then just going out to my backyard, cutting them all out, um, finishing off with a sanding, um, structuring them, gluing the pieces together, and then applying finish based on whatever finish choice that the customer wants. So yeah, pretty pretty simple process by the end of the day, yeah. So now do you... Do you have your customers sort of tell you what they want or are you have an idea of like, like different, uh, I guess, sizes where you can make a table lamp and you could also make like a, like a ceiling lamp, like things like yeah. that? Yeah. Good question. Um, So on my website, we, I currently only sell the two models. So the, the desk lamp and the ceiling lamp, Um, there's five different colors and they're all the same size essentially. So um, the customer is able to just go on my website, choose what color finish they want, what style, and then just order for checkout. Um, but I actually, I do offer custom works. Um, I, to date, I believe I have three custom lamps for three separate customers. Um, for example, one of them is a floor lamp. So it's taller than me. It's about six feet tall, six. I wanna say maybe six, four, if I remember the measurement correctly. But yeah, it ended up it ended up being a lot larger in scale. I got a larger bulb. Um, it came out really, really cool. Um, there was more of the pieces, same effect, same look, style, but it just it looked a lot more intricate just because it was a lot more detailed out. So mm -hmm. yeah, just that's just an example of like some of the custom work I do. So people will DM me. I'll have talks 
I'll chat with them over like kind of what inspires them and why they got interested in the lamps and then just kind of find a right style for them based on that. That's cool. Are you, are you going to, do you think you're going to be doing other uh, sort of furniture pieces besides lamps or are you focused on like lamps right now? I started with just the lamps because I just wanted to learn the process of actually owning a sole proprietorship and understanding what it takes to be able to distribute goods retail goods to people so just mm -hmm. i wanted to start with something a little bit more smaller scale i would love to end up just creating more and more furniture items i think furniture design is a really really cool hobby in general but if i can make a side business out of selling just multiple things for people's homes i think that'd be pretty badass yeah. um, like my bed frame for instance i i made that i made the shelves that you can see behind me um i just love to create like furniture pieces for my home and for other people's homes as well so yeah that's super cool man I wanted to get into that too, like woodworking almost. Yeah. Uh, make furniture, same, same, literally same thing. Like, like tables would be cool. Yeah. Uh, and I think that for any practicing architect that's learning all those skills, I think that woodworking's a great thing to add to your tool belt. So mm -hmm. if that is something that you're curious and interested in doing, I, I highly suggest that you get into it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And I remember you telling me um, the reason or, or a class that you took that struck your eye was architectural light studies, if I'm correct. Is that a class? Yeah. So, um, so the, the, the class that I mentioned when I made the lamp, it was that, that was the class. That's a course that you're speaking on. Correct. Yeah. So we essentially, we were learning how light works through these smaller scale objects and yeah, I made a lamp. <laughs> and then that kind of sort of triggered like, oh, maybe I can turn this into a business, see how it goes. Exactly. Yeah. Make some money off the things that you're good at and you love to do. So why not? <laughs> That's great. I, I like that you, uh, you are kind of not traditional, but you also, you do like sketching still, you know, mm -hmm. you, you make furniture. I feel like that's more traditional, like architects. And that's a great skill to have. I mean, again, the physical model aspect is just not something that I'm good at. So seeing somebody else that is good at it, it's almost like I want, if you could tell me any tips, like I would, I'm, I'm all yours. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I, I think I mentioned before, just, how long the process is for architects to see their final results. Um, for instance, the school that I've been talking about that I'm working on, I'm not gonna see that finished for another good, maybe three or four years. Mm -hmm. So obviously my day-to-day -day is really intense in terms of going and creating these contract documents. But at the end of the day, I wanna keep doing things that are architecture related, but fun. So yeah, started making the lamps and just shot up from there. For those who are listening, by the way, I know that we are very busy as architects, architecture students, designers, but you should still be doing things that you love um, outside of school. You know, in Mason's case, he likes to create, he likes to build with his hands, he likes to sketch, but maybe even it's something that's outside of architecture. You know, um, I'm a big gym buff, love to go to the gym. Just, just something to occupy your mind. I have a friend that she frequently takes walks like in Central Park. She likes to see, uh, you know, famous buildings that we learn about in history, all in, in New York City. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for those who are listening, just remember to not lose yourself and still do the things that you love on top of doing school, you know? And I'll have to echo that. I 100% agree. I think that having hobbies outside of architecture that just aren't at all related to architecture, I think it helps you as an architect because it clears your mind and mm -hmm. allows you to go back into those tasks with a new perspective. So I think just creating a routine for yourself, like you said, you're a big gym guy, myself included, you know, um, just try to get that exercise in during the week, but also just doing fun stuff. Like I love to snowboard. That's a part of my routine that I'm trying to implement 
into the busy life, like you said, of an architect. So, yeah. Right. And I, I, I also feel it keeps you grounded. It keeps you sane, you know, and sometimes yeah. when you can't think of a concept, you can't think of an idea going snowboarding or maybe building something with your hand or, or doing something to um, ease your mind. You know, that little break can help you as far as maybe finding another idea or another concept that you didn't think about before. hundred percent. Yeah. Like I think that even the two can play together. So for instance, mm -hmm. I, you probably saw in the portfolio, I have a project. Um, it's a, it's a library that you can ski on. So I took yeah. what I love to do as a hobby of snowboarding, skiing and trying to mix it in with the program of this studio five assignment that I had no idea what I really wanted to do in terms of a programmatic library layout. So I just started thinking beyond architecture into my own personal life and just started bringing those values in. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. So now one thing I wanted to ask you too, if you can go back to your 18 year old self, when you were in your first class in your first studio, whatever it might be, what is one piece of advice that you would tell yourself? One piece of advice I tell 18 year old me back in studio one days, I would have to say, don't try to stick to one particular style. Um, I think that every architectural student should have like their own style. Obviously, I think that they're like, there's, when you look at people's work, I think it, for the most part, you can tell when someone's done something, but I think that you should just try to diverse yourself in terms of like different rendering styles, different um, graphic styles, just trying out multiple different things, especially in those early years, just really figuring out what kind of style you do want to hone in on when you get to those later years and you, imprint that into your works so i guess for me i was really into um like the contemporary looks um, a lot more of the clean black and white clean cut graphic styles and i used that a lot in my first years and looking back at it i kind of wish i just got a little bit more vibrant with it got a little bit more color and play to it um which is something i ended up doing in my later years so i ended up still doing that but uh, yeah i just kind of wish maybe i tried that out a little bit earlier on now, same question. What's any advice for architecture students in general, whether they're first getting started or maybe they're a fifth year about to graduate and they're trying to start to get into the field? Mm -hmm. What's some advice that you would give some people? You know, I'd have to say, and it's not necessarily architectural related, but just creating that routine for yourself, um, just your day by day, just establishing when and where you do want to practice architectural skills, but then just having just like like we've just discussed that sense of personality to yourself and being able to go enjoy the things that you like to do um yeah i think that just having that routine in place and then just sticking to it and building on it and improving on it year by year i think that's a strong thing that everyone should be doing that's great advice i'm gonna i want to take that advice for myself too <laughs> great I love um it. so now we're, we're getting towards the end here uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Just okay. tell me the answer, just a quick one or the other. Okay. Okay. We'll do. All right. Sketches or digital drawings? Sketches. Coffee or energy drinks? Coffee. 100%. Rhino or Revit? <laughs> so tough. I'd have to say Rhino. I'm honestly going to have to say Revit. I'll have to say mm -hmm. Revit. It's just more what I use day to day, so. Fair enough. Uh, modern architecture or sort of that old Roman Greek looking <laughs> architecture? I'm more of a contemporary guy. Modern all day. Same here. Axonometric drawings or isometric drawings? I like axons. I think axons, axons. are the way to go. Mm -hmm. 
uh, foam, chipboard, or wood models? I don't necessarily do a lot of wood if you're maybe saying lumber models, but out of those three, I'd just have to say chipboard would be my favorite in terms of pan modeling. Uh, Mac or Windows? Windows, 100%. Desktop or a laptop? I think laptop is a more versatile tool for us. If I had to choose one, laptop. Fair. Uh, concrete or steel? <laughs> my name is Mason, so I'm going to have to go with the masonry aspect on that one <laughs> and pick concrete. Fair enough. Uh, studio first thing in the morning or studio midday towards the end of, end of the night? Studio, the course itself in the morning when I'm going back and doing my models and my drawings, end of the night for sure. And now Illustrator or Photoshop? Photoshop all day. All right. All right. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Illustrator. I mean, I'm sorry. Photoshop is better than Illustrator, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, that's all I have for you. Uh, thank you for coming on. I mean, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for even listening to the podcast. It's, it's a humbling feeling knowing that people actually listen. And I just counted the other day. I'm now in over 70 countries. Oh my God. Which is Congratulations. pretty insane to think about. You know? Yeah, that is great. I, I stumbled across your podcast um, not all too long ago, but it is something that I listen to every week. Um, I love listening to architectural related podcasts. Yours is a little bit more subtle, laid back. Um, if I'm doing something pretty intense on my computer, I can just like chill and just listen to somebody really relatable to myself. So mm. yeah, and thank you for having me on. This is obviously a huge pleasure for me. I've had a lot of fun having this conversation. So thank you so much. For sure, for sure. Uh, is there any um, any last piece of advice or maybe any last things you'd like to say? Just keep on designing everyone, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously studio courses, I'm sure that at this time of the year, a lot of them, a lot of those finals are kind of weighing in on people creating a lot of stress, getting ready for the um, final crits that are going to be coming up. So just keep on chugging along. Um, like I said, just create that routine for yourself. Um, try not to pull too many all-nighters. I know it's a pretty hot topic on this show, mm -hmm. but um, if you can create a routine for yourself strong enough, I don't think that you need to be doing that. And I think that you can create a really beautiful piece of architecture that it's going to go kick ass and blow the crits away. So good luck, everyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, just, uh, just wanted you to plug in your maybe your Instagram or, or at least your, your, your lamp business. I would love to yeah, have, 100%. have them. Um, my personal Instagram is Mota Mace, M O T A M A S E. And then for anyone interested in going and checking out my MW lamps, it is a uh, self-titled. So it's just MW lamps on Instagram. Um, I will be adding a discount code for maybe anyone interested. Um, I'll do arc show 10. So just type in arc show 10. If anyone is going to be purchasing one of those lamps and they can get a 10% discount. So yeah. Hell yeah. And thank you for that. That's, that's amazing. So yeah, that's arc show 10, everybody. Um, I'm sure you could do that at the checkout on your website. Correct. Correct. Yep. All right. Wonderful. Uh, well, we're going to end the podcast there. Um, if you like what you hear, if there's a topic you want to hear me talk about, if you want to be a guest, just like my guest here, Mason, reach out to me on Instagram at shagan.arc that's s-h-a-g-a-n dot a-r-c-h and don't forget to tune in every monday for a brand new episode if you listen all the way through thank you and have a great day